Welcome to Good Business, a weekly podcast to help you create a business that is good for people, planet, and the profit line. Hi, I'm Chris Edwards. I'm a serial entrepreneur. You may know me from my first business, Honeycombers, which is a digital lifestyle guide, providing you with everything you need to know to enjoy your local city. We operate in Singapore, Hong Kong, and Bali, and this year we're in our 15th year of operation. Or perhaps you know me as the founder of Launchpad, a community movement designed to support entrepreneurs who aspire to create conscious companies. On this podcast, we're going to explore the ups and downs of the entrepreneurial ride and understand how successful and clever innovators and business leaders bring people, planet and profit together to build better businesses. So what does it take to create a heart-led business? Join me and together we're going to learn how to create a good business. Before we do, I want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land that I am recording this podcast on, Bundjalung Country. And I pay my respects to the elders past and present, and I extend my respects to all traditional cultures. All right, let's get into it. My next guest is Vikas Garg, who was inspired to create a billion when Donald Trump became president. He was working in finance at the time, but he found that his personal values and his work was not aligned. And he started to dream up ways of reinventing social media and the idea of mindful scrolling took a hold of him. And that's how the idea for a billion was born. This chat today is incredibly interesting. I think Vikas is wildly ambitious and it's really interesting to jump in deep with someone who is looking to take on the likes of Facebook and Instagram and Twitter with their own product. His concept is social media for a better planet and his mission is to change the world one vegan dish or one product at a time. So um, I think you're going to enjoy this one. I know I did. Why don't we start with, um, let us know, how did you get here? How did you get to starting a billion? It's a long story, Chris. I don't know how much time we have. Um, uh, thanks. I mean, thank you very much for having me on your show. Um, thrilled to be here and be talking to you today. And uh, uh, yeah, for me, um, uh, I'd say this path has been really interesting on one side. Um, I spent my entire life uh, and, and my career from the time that I was a teenager kind of chasing, you know, chasing money and chasing financial return and uh, spent my entire career working on Wall Street, um, you know, inside of investment banks and hedge funds and pension funds. Uh, and uh, that career kind of took me around the world um, and uh, was always something that I was really excited about. Um, and uh, and then, you know, when I, as I kind of thought about what I wanted to do next in my life, what I wanted to do in my 30s, um, thought about like, okay, the kind of business that I wanted to start and uh, how I wanted to spend the next 40 years of my life. I just kept on reflecting on the idea that I had made this decision to kind of be in this industry, to be in this career when I was such a young person, when I was just a teenager. And just because at that stage of my life, the things that mattered to me, um, you know, were, were having money because I didn't have any money, you know, and that was really what was very important and paying off things like student loans and, and all of that stuff. And that was really a big, you know, reason for, you know, my, my desire to be in that industry. And as I kind of, you know, spent the next 15 years of my life, I realized while that was a good decision, then it wasn't necessarily something that I shouldn't revisit, um, so at the same time, I think that the things that I think all of us have this to some degree, um, or at least I can, I can say in my case, um, one of the things that always kind of, I felt very peculiar to me was the things that I was very passionate about in terms of talking to my friends about talking, you know, when you go out to dinner with friends, the things that would come up in conversation, the things that I would be most proud of in my life had very little to do with my career. My career always was very fulfilling but it didn't really connect back down to my values and my principles and the things that I really cared about the most in this world. Um, and that for me, uh, you know, since I was a kid, a lot of the things that I've really cared about have been uh, around my love for animals uh, and my passion and my love for the environment. 
Um, a lot of uh, the things that I've been involved with since I was a kid have to do with activism, whether that activism is around education and helping uh, you know, underprivileged youth or minority children get access to education or helping animals uh, and working in animal welfare. And, um, and I've been vegetarian and then vegan my entire life. And so that's always been really a fundamental grounding principle for me is, you know, is, is, is sort of that value system that's associated with the most basic things that we do every single day, which is food. So when I, when it came time, when it came around to time to sort of me starting my own thing, I felt a very strong pull to really bring these two different, these two parts of my life, my work and my career and sort of my value system and the things that I really felt very passionate about I felt like if I could bring these things together, I would never, I wouldn't really have a day where I, you know, I just wouldn't have a lot of regrets and I would really be following, I would be building something that then followed my values, which would help me in this very, very, very challenging thing, which is building a company, right? Building a startup, like coming up with an idea and then running with it. And if it was something that I really was very passionate and aligned with that I would have a much higher, greater degree of being able to see it through, see it through the difficult times and make it a success. Um, yeah. And uh, it's more than five years in and I'm still figuring it out. It's such a journey, isn't it? Was there a, an awakening or an aha moment where you went, this just makes sense? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, it's really funny. I'm, I'm 41 years old. Uh, and, you know, I started my career in 2002 um, and I, I, I never used social media. I, until I started a billion, I didn't have uh, a Facebook account or an Instagram account. I had never heard of TikTok, um, you know, and uh, the closest thing I had to social media back then was a LinkedIn account. And, you know, back then I'd say, you know, in 2017, LinkedIn was, still wasn't like quite what it is today in terms of, you know, the social sort of social media for your career, um, that it is today. Um, and, uh, and so, and I just really didn't like the idea of social media. I thought it was very narcissistic. Um, you know, I thought that it conveyed this ideal, um, sort of like per view of everyone's life, this kind of very curated, unrealistic way of thinking, um, and, you know, again, just call me silly, old and old fashioned, right? Um, but that was just kind of like what I thought. And the big aha and awakening moment for me was the 2016 U.S. election. Um, prior to the 2016 U.S. election, I had been seeing, you know, whether it was like people live streaming, um, live streaming mass shootings and, you know, uh, seeing the effect of social media in, you know, in, in inciting rebellions throughout the Middle East and North Africa, uh, or, you know, the Rohingya genocide. But we had kind of seen inklings of what was really going on and how nefarious these platforms were becoming in terms of, you know, they built these amazing communities or they built these amazing platforms that attracted lots of people around the world to connect with each other, but they seemed to kind of check all of their values at the door. These issues didn't really bother me so much until the 2016 election. And I'm American um, and I'm a New Yorker. Uh, so having grown up in New York and kind of seen like the circus sideshow of the Trump family, I just was really taken aback that, wow, like how did this happen? And I think in the weeks and months after the elections, we found out more and more about all of the election interference we found about found out about companies that were basically using our personal and private data that were buying that data from platforms like Facebook, um, and uh, and I really felt like wow, uh, this is crazy. Like these platforms have not only become cesspools of you know misinformation, but that misinformation is now being used specifically to target us to interfere with our elections, to interfere with our, our, our political systems, our judicial systems, our, our, our way of life. Uh, and, uh, and that's something that just, that, that's insane. And I didn't see anybody really trying to figure that out or solve that problem. 
uh, and I became obsessed with it. I just became obsessed. This is like now November, December, January of 2016 and then 2017. And I just became so obsessed with the issue that I uh, went into my boss's office after my birthday in Jan, Feb of 2017. And I resigned because um, I said, I, I got to do something about this. So that was kind of the big wake up call aha moment for me. Wow. Yeah. And just for our listeners that aren't familiar with a billion, can you give us a snapshot what it is and how do you explain what it is to people who aren't aware? Yeah, thank you. We're we're a social media platform that's trying to uh, drive social change and social benefit, um, effectively to drive social good. Uh, and the way that we do that is we help people, you know, we help, we bring people together in a community. It's a global community of people around the world in 173 countries. Uh, and, but on our platform, the kind of content that you see really helps you become more sustainable, helps you connect with charities, helps you connect with um, social impact, helps you incorporate impact and this sense of purpose into your daily, back into your day-to-day life. And that's everything from, so we're a platform of all user-generated content. So it's every few seconds, someone is somewhere in the world is creating content on a billion, but the content on a billion has to do with issues around sustainability and, and, and social good. We help people find the best, most sustainable food and you know, often vegan food. At restaurants around the world, we help people identify products from around the world that they can, you know, that they can buy that are better products, cleaner products, more environmentally friendly products. We have over a half a million products that have been crowdsourced by our community from around the world. And we believe that one of the defining sort of areas or the defining sort of cornerstones for sustainability around the world doesn't really have to do with governments and policymakers and corporations. It has to do with consumption and it has to do with demand and sort of fixing demand. And if we can help people drive demand towards more sustainable products and options, we know people are going to shop. We know people are going to buy food every day. We know people are going to consume things. If we can help people make better decisions around that, we can change demand. And through changing demand, we can really change supply. Um, So we're a platform for consumer advocacy and activism. We're working to become the benchmark for sustainability around the world. And it's all through becoming the voice of people. It's not a billion sort of stamping anything or, you know, being uh, an editorial resource. We are really a platform and a voice for people around the world. Yeah, it's super impressive Um, and wildly ambitious. You know, I've done a bit of research and it seems like you've expanded to another 13 countries since the last article that's been written about. But, you know, the numbers I've, I've read is that a million members and you've donated $2 million, you've helped 60 non-profit organisations, you've fed over 41,000 hungry children and replaced 580,000 animal-based meals. Like, there are amazing results in terms of impact and I suppose even the name, a billion, it, it is a wildly ambitious company aspiration you've baked into the name, which is super cool. Have you had any moments where you've doubted yourself and your vision? Like, has it been a bit challenging because you put a billion right up there? You know, the the concept of jinxing it, right? Like, are we somehow jinxing it by like stating our goals so ambitiously? But that's what it's going to take. It's going to take a billion people around the world. It's not necessarily, it doesn't mean like, oh, hey, let's like, yes, let's grow a billion to a billion users, like, or a billion members. And, you know, it's, it's, it's not so much about that. Uh, I mean, that would be phenomenal um, because ultimately the impact that that community then is going to drive around the world is going to be, is going to be world changing. Um, but it's about how do we trigger, how do we trigger this co- concept of consciousness mindfulness around consumption, around bettering society, around doing right for the environment, for animals, for people, for your community, this sense of trying to do something right every single day, right? To try to make us more connected with our environment, with nature. Um, How do we engender that? It's really important for us to have a North Star as to what does this look like in the next 10, 20 years. But I just say, just imagine a world where a billion people 
are living this way, are thinking this way, are, are living consciously and mindfully, wouldn't that just be an incredible world, right? And so that's really, that's for us. But, you know, I'd like to just show this, which is, this is our, our company logo and it's really, it's 10 to the ninth, right? Which 10 to the ninth, 10 to the power of nine equals a billion. Um, but it really starts with a community or group of people as small as 10, right? And that's really where we started, right? Was how do we attract our first 10 members? And then how do we expand from there? How do you expand from there and grow it? Um, and that's really where we've been focused on for the last few years is just really trying to build this and do it the right way and, you know, build this and develop it organically. And it's, it's hard. It's really, really hard. It's, it's incredibly challenging. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot there I want to unpack, but for a lot of business owners and entrepreneurs out there, I, I think the big question I have is how did you start? The amount of content on the app is really impressive. I don't live in a big city. Um, I'm, you know, in rural New South Wales and the content on the app for my local area is really impressive. So is that right? Really? Yeah. 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 You What's can... the location? I'll, I'm going to check it out after our call. So it's Byron Bay. I've lived here for five years now and I know <laughs> all the restaurants and um, but yeah, you've highlighted places there that I didn't know offered um, vegetarian dishes. And yeah, it was really, I was really impressed. But I was like, how, how have you done this? Because, you know, user generated content is the, is the dream for lots of, it sounds too good to be true, you know, like not having to pay for editorial content production. But how did you seed it? How did you start? We were just joking about the first review because we went to a restaurant uh, the other day and, and uh, Ravi on our team said, hey, yeah, that, that's the restaurant that we had the first review from. And I was like, I don't think that that's the restaurant that we had the first review from. I thought I posted the first review from this other restaurant, uh, you know, back, back five years ago. And so, look, it, it, we were in the beginning, <laughs> we were lucky to have like one post a day. You know, and that was the beginning. And it was like me emailing people in my former industry, me emailing all of my friends and saying, hey, get on this. And, you know, it would like if you go on Facebook and like you post on Facebook, it takes like boom, boom, boom. You just write something, you hit the post button, it's there. And on our platform, like you've got to like in the beginning, especially, you know, there was there were no listings, there was no content, etc. So like you've got to fetch data, you've got to connect all these other things, and um, the the process was really slow. It would take somebody like four or five minutes to upload a photo, right? Because you know photos on iPhones are so big, and like we hadn't figured out any of this stuff. Like I'm not a programmer. I've never built a technology company prior to this, and the first uh, software developer that we hired. Uh, you know, he was an entry level developer that I hired out of coding bootcamp um, who, you know, I, I went to coding bootcamp for three months and sat in a room full of, you know, 30 other people learning to code. I was like three days into the course, I was three months behind already. It was awful. Imagine like being the oldest person in a room full of people that's already intimidating, but then like being the worst at something after you were really good at your prior job and you look around and you're like, oh my God, I hope I didn't just make the biggest mistake of my life. And you do that every day. You ask yourself that question every single day for three months. Um, but I was there because I wanted to, you know, hire an entry level coder, but I wanted to pick the best one. And I didn't know the first thing about interviewing engineers, right? And so I knew that I needed some scrappy young people and we got really lucky and we found sort of, you know, the, I was able to convince one of the best in just, you know, entry level engineers in the course to come and work with me and build this. Um, uh, his name is Jonathan and, you know, and, and John then spent the next five years working with me building a billion. The beginning is really, really hard because, yeah, there was maybe one piece of content coming in every day and we were asking people and we were go doing all the things that I guess we had to do at that time, which was going to festivals, going to events, signing up people, talking to them about the mission, having lots of conversations like this with individuals, getting people brought in, going to, you know, to joining animal rights groups and talking about telling people about this. And, you know, most people would look at it and they would be like, what 
the hell is this? And wow, it takes way too long to, to do anything. Um, it takes way, way too long to post anything. And, you know, they would drop off really quickly. And then like a handful of people, like we'd get one person in Hong Kong who would go and then post like 500 reviews because they eat out every day and, uh, and they really believed in what we were doing. And, you know, I'm guessing a few people like that signed up in Australia and the U.S. And so that's kind of where it began. And then more people found, started finding out about us. And then um, we, one of the big things that we did ultimately to scale uh, was start working with nonprofits. So back in 2018, we started reaching out to animal sanctuaries and animal rights groups and uh, saying, hey, like, you know, is this something like, can you please share this with your fans? Um, so we didn't actually work with influencers because guess what? Influencers, they wanted to get paid and they weren't actually our customers. They weren't actually our users. And, you know, they wouldn't even really use our product, but then like they would like post it, you know, they were like, hey, yeah, give me a thousand dollars and I'll post an ad about you. And I was just like, that just feels very artificial because you're not really, you don't really care about my product. You don't really care about what I'm trying to do. You're just kind of like, you're not on there. So like, what's the point? And so we found a lot more success with working with farm animal sanctuaries around the world um, and trying to say, hey, like, look, you know, if we succeed, we'll become a tool to help animals. And so animal sanctuaries started telling their fans and supporters about us. And that's kind of how we really drove um, our, what we call user acquisition for the first few years. Um, and, uh, and, and really by virtue of that, we never really have spent much money on, you know, if you look at the amount of money that we've raised as a company versus how much we've ever spent on things like traditional marketing, Facebook ads, any of that stuff, it's, it's a drop in the bucket. We've instead, what we've done is created gamification in the platform that where when somebody eats, let's say, vegan food or buys a sustainable cosmetics product, they post about it on a billion, we reward them with a credit to donate, to save, save lives, feed hungry children, plant trees, makes them feel really good and connected to that little consumption decision that they made. And it makes it easier, like as you said, when you open the app in Byron Bay, you're now discovering all of these great plant-based options. It makes it easier for people like you to then discover those things, try them, and hopefully get kickstarted on your journey, makes your journey a little bit easier and more interesting when you're able to find great options. And that's how we then create impact. Yeah, I love that. I love the fact that you actually just found finding the right partners that have the same shared values as the best way to really launch and extend to find the audience um, through those right channels. It's pretty powerful, so very clever. And, and what's the revenue model? How do you finance these donations that you're making? Yeah, so we, uh, in terms of financing our business and our operations, we are definitely a venture-funded company. Uh, so we're still, like, as far as revenue and traction and profitability, uh, we are still, you know, pre-profitability as a business. And in 2022, after we raised our Series A, we really then started to turn on the levers around our revenue strategy. So where are we today? Um, we're, so we're, we're a social media platform. We're a user-generated content platform. If you look at companies like Facebook, Twitter, uh, LinkedIn, it took them five, six, seven years before they started monetizing, right? And it's sort of the same thing. The big difference for our platform versus something like a Facebook or an Instagram is most people on Instagram are not posting content about businesses and products. They're just posting general social content like, hey, you know, I met up with my friend Chris today in Byron Bay. Here's a photo of us, right? Um, you know, maybe they'll tag a restaurant if they're sitting at a restaurant or, you know, maybe they've, you know, influencers will like kind of get on there with products. But for the vast majority of people, it's, um, it's you know, it's about their personal life or their social life, right? And that's, that's what moves people on those platforms. On our platform, 99% of the content that's created on our platform actually has to do with things people are buying, right? So it could be food at restaurants that people are buying. It could be a sustainable beauty product or, you know, a packaged food product that they buy at a store. 
So um, 99% of the content is about brands, products, businesses, et cetera, right? So to give you a sense of kind of what does that look like globally, we have 101,000 consumer products companies on our platform and we have 105,000 restaurants around the world. So about 205, 206,000 businesses globally that are on our platform. Uh, we have a marketing product, a SaaS product. So it's a software product that allows brands to then plug into our platform and beautify their existing, add, adding, add things in like product purchasing. So when somebody's actually using our app somewhere in the world or using our website, they can actually click through and purchase the item that they're looking at. Um, there's a component of you know boosting all of that content and you know that organic content that's being created about them. We don't act, we're completely ad-free platform, but what we do is we've created some ingenious ways to actually take all the content that customers, that, that those brands as customers are posting about them and really kind of amplify the, the vo- those voices. Um, so we do that in a very organic way that feels very genuine and authentic, continues to feel genuine and authentic uh, for our members around the world. Um, so brands can access all of those um, things through a subscription service. And we have 4,700 uh, plus uh, uh, customers today of that software service. Um, it's called a billion for a billion for brands. Um, so that was one big thing that we kind of turned on earlier this year. And the other big thing has been our peer-to-peer marketplace. So you're sitting in Australia. If you look around and you have something you want to sell, um, or if you make something, for instance, I make sourdough bread every weekend and I sell it through the app here in Singapore. So I make two one kilo loaves and I sell them. Um, and uh, we're trying to really build sort of the peer-to-peer marketplace for sustainability for people around the world. Uh, and that's in-app uh, and right now, and it's going to be all on web soon. Um, but that's really to help turn our community of people, our, our members around the world, into sellers, into buyers and sellers, into small businesses, into entrepreneurs. How do we create a platform, much like what Etsy did or Kickstarter did, right? As Etsy really created this phenomenal community for people who are handcrafting things. We think, you know, we want to do the same thing for sustainability. We want to do the same thing for the vegan space, right? Is really create this community and this this marketplace where people can create things and sell things that are that are vegan that are sustainable. Um, so in the last few months, since we've launched our marketplace, we've been seeing transactions every single day, um, and uh, and it's it's amazing to see people posting handcrafted beaded jewelry from Greece and you know food items that people are making around the world and artwork and plants, you know, like the plant that you have sitting behind you that people are propagating at home and, you know, selling on the platform in places like Singapore. Um, um, So, yeah, so we're, you know, we're working on expanding that. And through that marketplace, uh, just to go back to your question on on how do we make money, um, there's there's a fee for every transaction. Uh, We don't charge anything for listing an item, but we charge a fee for uh, when an item is sold. This podcast is brought to you by Launchpad, a community movement for conscious entrepreneurs. If you're seeking a sounding board, advice, masterclasses, or maybe just looking for a network of people that are in your corner to support you, come to the launchpad.group website and check it out. We'd love to meet you. I suppose it's also, I'm just thinking about a really interesting time for a social media platform that's a competitor to Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. I mean, there's so much happening in this space Um, and I'm sure you're across the new platform, Be Real. Like we are seeing a really big shift of people looking for, I suppose, alternative ways to connect. I, I think it's exciting because there is so much change and you know, just what was it two weeks ago? Um, uh, Meta having to to let staff go. Like it's a big, big shift in the trend that we're seeing. So, does this excite you or scare you or both? Well, so on the on the layoffs, I think that there was a huge surge in employment in many of these companies in 2020 and 2021. Like you know, especially if you look at kind of the companies that are more e-commerce-y because people were sitting at home 
Um, and, uh, you know, and, and these, meanwhile, people sort of people sitting at home and buying lots of things, right? So, and people were sitting at home and streaming video all the time, six, seven, eight hours a day and on social media apps all the time, right? So there was this huge new generation of social media apps that were kind of created, platforms like Clubhouse during that time. And some of those ideas were very good. Some of those ideas kind of ended up staying part of the pandemic lifestyle. And that now that people are out of the pandemic lifestyle, some people are still using those products, some people are not. For platforms like Facebook and others, um, you know, I, I think, um, uh, yeah, they, they've grown a lot. And now we're seeing, uh, I think that what we're seeing is people are want to strip out the noise. So we all are so busy in our lives. And many of us see like, you know, many of us are passionate about our hobbies. For you, maybe that's cycling or running. For me, it's running and swimming and baking. <laughs> and, you know, so, and outside of my work, you know, for me, it's my work, it's my family, it's my four-year-old daughter uh, and my wife. And, uh, and then it's, and it's my, my family, my extended family. And then, and, and besides that and my work, I've just got to be able to take care of myself so I want to do my best doing it, being able to do that. And, you know, so for me, um, finding a community that where I really feel connected based back down to my values and the principles and values and my lifestyle on a day in, day out basis is trying basically going down that rabbit hole and, you know, and, and finding a like-minded community is really important to me. And I think that we're seeing that increasingly uh, across the board. So, you know, people who are really into cycling, they're finding that community on Strava. They're not using Facebook and Facebook groups anymore to talk about cycling or running, right? And we're seeing this, you know, we're seeing the rise of like lots of sort of more niche platforms out there um, where people can really dive in, you know, Discord is a great example of another platform. Um, and I think that that's also going to, I think that trend is going to continue. Uh, and for us, hopefully that, you know, put some wind in our sails um, in terms of creating sort of the, the, the go-to destination and platform to help people live more sustainably. Mm, yeah, no, I think, I think there is a massive movement um, for both those things. One, for finding your tribe. And I feel like people are, are learning about the value of having a, a community and connection with like-minded and people with the same values. And then I also think, I think there's been a massive shift to people understanding that we do need to be more conscious. So that shift has happened in Australia probably more so than in Asia, but, you know, I can definitely see it's coming and it's exciting because it needs to come. I think you're in a really exciting position. Um, so I wanted to ask you, it's such an inspiring journey that you've had. Um, this business podcast is brought to you by Launchpad, so it's, it's a community of entrepreneurs and I know lots of them would love to know, what do you wish that you knew before you started? Um, man, I'd say... The pandemic has really um, uh, forced us all to be much more agile in the way, not just the way that we kind of work, the way that we work, the way that we think about work, the way that we think about what we have learned in the last 10, 20 years. You know, if you're a young entrepreneur, you've basically, you know, if you've started your company or you've started working kind of in the last five years, then like, um, then, you know, this is just part of your new normal. This is just part of your normal the last couple of years. But I think that um, the last couple of years has really tested everything that I know about leadership. I have been, um, I have always been somebody that um, believes in teamwork, you know, together, people in a room together. I've always, you know, used the analogy, you can't show up to a game you can't play a game sitting at home. You you can't show up to the field for practice without showing up to the field, right? And uh, and you know that was robbed from us for two years during COVID, uh, especially you know here where I am in Singapore, where basically the country was offices were shut down for almost two years, um, and uh, or in some sort of state of catharsis, and so. Um, uh, that really had, had led to us having to then be very agile 
Um, and also, you know, then having to be really agile around things like leadership, right? And commitment and dedication and things that like, you know, I've just fundamentally kind of grown up uh, around hard work and really hard determined work. And a startup is a grind. Uh, everything, we talk about this concept of zero to one, right? It's like everything is zero to one all the time, right? Like, and it's not just product market fit on one thing, but it's like product market fit on your product, product market fit on your marketing, pro- like product market fit on your client base. Like, you know, product for us, it's like every time we build new features, it's like almost feels like we're trying to get product market fit again. Um, uh, I would just say be really intentional about your leadership be really intentional and forthright about the kind of company that you're trying to build. Um, if you're trying to build a values-based business, um, that's wonderful because it's wonderful and it's also a double-edged sword. It's wonderful because you're going to attract people um, who are hopefully very mission aligned. And a lot of people will look at your company and be like, yeah, no, thank you. And that's great. Right, um, because it, the more mission mission aligned people that you can get on board, um, that really believe in your product, really believe in what you're doing, and believe in that vision, um, they're going to be the ones that are going to do the hard work. They're going to be the ones that feel they themselves walk in every day very determined because they feel like they're owners. And you should make them all owners in your company, which is what we have done. Um, Unfortunately, it's also a double-edged sword because, you know, it means that you may not be able to attract a lot of people based on where you are there, you know, or, um, or just, you know, uh, you, there is some survivorship bias there where maybe if the pool of people who are really interested in your company is smaller, um, just because they're values oriented doesn't mean that they necessarily have the skills that you also need to, you know, to do the job. And so we've learned that lesson, you know, through, it's very hard to recruit software engineers here in Singapore um, and, uh, and finding the right ones who are also then a mission fit uh, can, be, can be tricky. Um, but, you know, just being, I'd say being really intentional about all of these things and also um, asking yourself whether this is something you really want to do because it is a very lonely journey, the whole sort of startup CEO journey is incredibly lonely. Um, you, you know, in the beginning, I mean, you, you want everybody to be your friends. You want everybody to be able to like you, you want every, but you've got to be a leader. You've got to, you know, you've got to be fair to people. You've got to set up processes and frameworks. Uh, you've got to say no. Um, and, uh, and, you know, and, and unfortunately I can say I, I, I've, even though I've spent my entire career operating in, environments like that. And uh, I'd say I've spent my entire career working in very high-performing teams and leading very high-performing teams. It's just very different when you're building something from the ground up. Um, and you end up making all of these mistakes. And it's part of it is just the other advice is just don't get, you know, don't, don't lose sight of what's important. Um, and if you said something you really believe in, stick with it. Oh, so much there. Um, I love all of that advice. It is tough and lonely. uh, And I also really resonate with struggling to say no. I'm a people pleaser. So I'm always like, maybe. (laughs) It's hard, isn't it? It's a hard role to play. I've got one last question and then I've got a few rapid fire questions. But change is the only constant in business. And I'm wondering, what do you think we have our eyes wide shut on right now? You know, food security. Um, most of us, right? Most of the people who are going to be listening to this, uh, listening to this or watching this, um, probably uh, are pretty food stable, right? Um, we have um, we have a billion people around the world that are that 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 unfortunately don't have food security, uh, and we have a billion people who you know have too much of it, um, and. Uh, uh, I think that the it's, it's going to the realities and the shocks are going to sneak up on us, and they already are. Um, we're seeing food shortages, but thanks to the war in the Ukraine, we're seeing um, uh, food shortages, wheat shortages all around the world. 
Um, we're seeing the price of a lot of things accelerate, like the price of chicken in Singapore has gone up 40, 50 percent uh, this year because, you know, countries like Malaysia kind of stopped exporting. I don't know where it is right now, but for a time, um, you know, countries like Malaysia stopped exporting. Uh, India has been doing the same thing with some of its staple crops, um, is cutting down exports of things like rice uh, and other other grains and vegetables. Um, and, and so we're, you know, we're going to see a lot of that. And um, uh, I think that we have to we have to be prepared for a world where the most basic things that we take for granted every single day uh, can easily be disrupted very, very, very quickly um, because of war, because of famine, because of climate change, because of climate refugees. Um, and uh, and, and I, I don't think that most people are thinking about these things or prepared for these things. Uh, and I'm not talking about stockpiling here. <laughs> I'm not talking about creating a bunker. Um, but what I'm talking about is how there's time, there is time to change and reverse and mitigate some of these risks. Um, and it all comes back down to the choices that we make as consumers every single day. Yeah, 100% agree. It's amazing that we do have the power. We're just not uh, awake to, to realizing that the power is with us and our, our choices. Okay, so I'm going to round out this interview with some rapid fire questions. Firstly, what are your self-care routines besides baking sourdough and playing with your four-year-old? How do you keep mentally sound when you're driving such a large, ambitious business? Remembering these days, like my number one tip for myself is remembering to breathe. <laughs> I find myself like, I find myself holding my breath all the time. And I think that's like a leading indicator of stress. So a little sticky <laughs> note on the computer, just breathe. <laughs> Even when I'm even when I'm running or working out, I'm conscious of my breathing. And when I breathe, a lot of the when I when I'm conscious about my breathing, so much improves so quickly. Um, even on this call, just like just not not you know like not breathing through your mouth like just being very intentional about your breathing i find that that is um uh that that is uh that that that's very very important for me mm, that's a really good tip um i like that luck favors the open mind or fortune favors the bold luck favors the open mind or fortune favors the bold that is such a good way of thinking about it. It's a bit of both, isn't it? Or a lot of both. It's a lot of, it's a lot of both. Do I have to choose one? No, you can say both. Um, okay. I choose both. I mean, keep, you know, it is, I mean, perspective, keeping an open mind and, and, you know, just going back to the first question, reading, reading, I'm a voracious reader. I love reading. I love reading books and, and, and newspapers and magazines. I'm still, I'm an old guy. I still get the newspaper delivered to me every day. And I try to read it for at least 15, 20 minutes in the morning on my way to work. Um, but it's just that it's perspectives, keeping an open mind. And the only part of keeping an open mind is, is allowing, having that place where you're receiving information, um, and, and, and talking to people, um, that's why one of the one of the key you know one of the big things we do at a billion is making sure people come into the office because you know otherwise people are just sitting at their desk all day and then they'll dial in for meetings but there isn't that open conversation that open and collaborative conversation that takes place otherwise around the table uh, even around the lunch table so uh, yeah I'd say a bit of both uh, and that leads into my next question what is your favorite business book. Ooh, two of the most recent sort of reads in the last two years, the, two, the top two books in the last two years that really stand out. And maybe there's a third, which, you know, is probably five years, I read five years ago, but it's, it's still a good book. I'll start with the first, uh, the, the one that I read five years ago, that's, I'd say is still a really good book. It's, it's The Hard Things About Hard Things. And uh, that's uh, by a guy named Ben Horowitz. Um, who's the, one of the co-founders of Andreessen Horowitz, the big venture capital fund. But before that, he slogged it out building companies 
um, for many years. And um, it's kind of all of the, it's, it has nothing to do with venture investing. It's all about the struggles and failures of building companies and, you know, getting all the way to the 11th hour where everything is a disaster. And, you know, the concept of you're, while you're building a company, you're failing 95% of the time. You're like constantly failing and that sucks. Like it's, it's, it's so demoral, it can be so demoralizing. And, but then that, you know, you're, you're working so hard and failing so long to get to that 5%, right? Um, the second book is The Story of Bite Dance, which is, it's a book called Attention Factory, uh, written by a reporter in Beijing named Matthew Brennan. And uh, Matthew wrote, I'd say, one of the best books about social media and this whole new tech, like this whole new industry of tech and social tech uh, that has come up. And it's really this phenomenal story of ByteDance going back 12, 13 years and how the whole company got started, how they built 20, 30 products and eventually got to TikTok, how TikTok in the beginning wasn't exactly a slam dunk. It was a little bit of a failure until they figured things out and, you know, it became a huge success. Um, and even on that path to success, to, you know, what, what happened, et cetera. So it's the inside story and it's fantastic. It's such a phenomenal read. Um, so much interesting stuff in there. And the third book has to be probably my favorite of the three, um, which is Brad Stone's 2013 uh, book about Amazon and Bezos. It's called The Everything Store. Um, and I'd say it, it's probably one of my favorite business books of all time. It's the inside story um, as told by the people who kind of were living through it day by day of Amazon from, you know, its early beginnings in like 97, 98, uh, yeah, 96, 97, 98 to 2013 when the book was published. And it is brilliant, brilliant book about business. Yeah. Oh, well, fourth book, fourth book. Classic, classic by, you know, by Sam Walton, the founder of Walmart, biggest retailer in the world, made in America, made in America. Of all of the, of all of the four books, it's the most feel good, authentic, you know, that American sort of feel good story about a guy, you know, a guy on a farm who builds something and does it, you know, tries to be a really good person you know, along that journey. Yeah, sorry, four books. <laughs> cool. I um, I totally respect that. I'm a business book junkie and uh, I just feel like you can just get so much out of these books and really helps shape you and really inspiring and really gives you the, the you know, you need a lot of passion to create your own business. So, you know, you, you definitely get a lot of passion and inspiration from business books. So I love that you've given me four. Um, that's awesome. And my last question for you is, who do you think we should invite onto this podcast? Um, who's doing really interesting stuff? Um, there is a guy in the U.S. named Sam Polk, uh, S-A-M-P-O-L-K, who uh, started a company called Every Table. And um, basically, it's it's he started in Los Angeles, if if I'm correct, I may be wrong, but he start I believe he started in Los Angeles. By building like, you know, you, you lived in Singapore, so you know, like salad stop, right? Or whatever the like kind of, you know, sort of expensive, medium range, high quality organic salad place would be in like a Sydney or somewhere, right? Like, you know, like the kind of like the upmarket to go salad place. So he started that, except he did it, you know, for uh, like, so in America, the high end salad place that everybody goes to in like Manhattan would be Sweet Greens where you'd go and spend $15 on a salad, 15 US dollars on a salad. He started the same thing, but he did it for $5 and he did it in the inner city in communities like in down, you know, in, in Compton and like historically minority communities to try to really improve access to fruits and vegetables and high quality meals and proteins. Uh, it's not a vegan business, um, but it's, it's a business that's trying to get people in the inner city to eat salad and to try to do it at a price point which is attractive enough, which is lower than what they would go and spend at McDonald's or Burger King, right? Um, and, uh, and I'm so happy to see that company succeeding. Um, 
because it, it, it is, it's so important if we want, you can't, you can't fix education without fixing food. You can't, you know, you, 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 you can't ask people to make better decisions around food without an education. And so many of these things go hand in hand. You can't lift people out of poverty without giving them nutrition Right. Um, and, uh, and I just really admire people who are doing things like that. Yeah, cool. Every table, Sam Polk. I will definitely look that up. That is, sounds like a very inspiring business. I really don't want to end this interview. I've loved every minute because so, thank you so much for your time. I, before we got on the call, you were telling me how you've been in back-to-back meetings. And so I, I you know, really appreciate your time. It's a very inspiring story and I'm definitely going to take a lot of nuggets of gold from this conversation. So thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. I appreciate your time, Chris. Thanks for inviting me uh, onto your onto your show. And uh, I hope to meet you next time you're in Singapore. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I'd love that. Okay. Thanks very much. Thank you. Wow. What an inspiring man Vickers is. I just loved that chat. So three big takeaways for me. Firstly, number one, We should really revisit our goals and our life's work. You don't need to stay in the same career. And often we choose our career when we're in our teens, which is just a really young stage to make such a big decision about your life. And and you really need to make sure that what you do at work reflects your own personal values, especially as an entrepreneur. So that was the really big outtake. Number two, I love the fact that Vikas did not work with influencers and and paid media really as his core um, audience growth strategy and that in fact he really focused on partnerships with uh, organizations that were like-minded. So that was my number two. And then number three is I really feel like because it talked a lot about how starting Scrappy is okay and you do need to be innovative around sourcing talent in particular when you're starting out and you don't have big budgets. And I loved the example he gave of joining a coding school just to recruit the best coder in the room. So clever, so clever. Just love, love, loved that chat. So thank you, Vikas, and I hope you guys all enjoyed it as much as I did. Thank you for listening to Good Business. Okay, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Selfishly, I created this podcast for my own personal growth. I really wanted to spend an hour with these amazing entrepreneurs that really inspire me. Of course, I also created it for you, our listeners, and the wider community at Launchpad, where we're a group of entrepreneurs all trying, or aspiring rather, to create better businesses together. If you enjoyed this episode, or if you have any feedback, suggestions, or just want to reach out, please do. I'd love to hear from you. You can catch me on email at chris at thehoneycombers.com or go to the launchpad.group website and check it out. Thanks for listening. And I hope you leave as inspired as I am to create your own good business.